our church's worship director said to me in preparation for, for this morning, she said to me, make sure you introduce yourself to the church, old man. <laughs> that worship director is my daughter. And uh, I will introduce myself. My name is John, and in the, at the end of 1996... My wife and our four children, we came here from Geelong in Victoria and we've been part of this church right up until now and we're hoping for many years to come. From the end of 96 until Easter last year, I was um, one of the pastoral team here and I retired from formal ministry at Easter last year and it's just a privilege for me to be able to open God's word again within my church family. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 1 because that's where we're going to go to in a few, few moments. Those of you who um, are going to tell on me to Emma because Emma's away this morning, tell her that I introduced myself, Okay. Friends, I'm hoping that you share with me the appreciation that I have for the exceptional high standard of teaching that we have here at BPCC. I love coming to church. And it's, it's interesting, having been retired now from formal ministry for over a year, I come to church, like most of us, to worship and to hear God's ex word explained. The truth of what God wants us to know and wants us to experience in life. The, the last series that Adam led us with, with his team, called Beneath the Surface, you know, exploring issues of the heart, was just outstanding. And it was so practical. And, and I appreciate it because we were reminded from God's word how we can live life successfully, effectively. And friends, in this crazy world in which we're living, we need help to live effectively, successfully, and meaningfully. And the Bible tells us that, that it is our hearts that are the driving centre of living life effectively. It's from our hearts where we steer our choices. Choices determine outcomes. And when I think about that, I'm reminded of my dear old dad who used to say to us kids when we were little, he would say, you make or break your life on the basis of your choices. So let's just think about that as we get into God's word this morning. As we grow up, as we come from being dependent on mum and dad and, and then we become our own adults and we go into life, there are choices that come along. Is this the right choice of friend to have? Is this the right career path to pursue? Is this the right kind of person to marry? Is this the right purchase to make? Are my priorities in life right choices, right priorities? Is this the right person to hire? Is this the right amount of freedom to give to my child at this age? Is this the right person to confide in? 
You make or break your life on the basis of your choices. So it's obvious that we need wisdom, hey? When making choices in life so that life will go well for us, we need wisdom. And wisdom is something that we acquire from experience and learning. And whenever I'm reminded that that wisdom comes from experience and learning, I think to something that happened to my three-year-old nephew years back at Carla and my engagement party. We had a barbecue set up at the engagement party and my little nephew, who was then three years of age, was told by his mum, my sister, three times, don't go near the barbecue because it is hot. Three times he was told that. And he could have learnt that lesson then and there. But little Matthew thought, no, I'm going to go and check that out. And he put his hand on the barbecue plate and it sizzled and found out it was hot. And the truth is, in many choices that I've made in life, I've been just like little Matthew and chose not to listen to the instruction and instead made regretful decisions which had consequences that I needed to live through and face. And I'm wondering whether that's happened to you in your life too. Now God's word is full of wisdom. And one of the books smack dab in the middle of God's word, Proverbs, is full of wisdom. And this is where we're going to go for the next little while. So, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words. Where it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion in sorry, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Now you see there the word guidance on the screen. I've, <clears throat> I've underlined it because <clears throat> I want you to know that the word guidance in, in the original Hebrew comes from the word rope. Rope, where you, you know, rope. And that's because ropes were the method of navigation for sailors back in those days. Ropes were used to raise and lower the sails. Ropes were used to to steer the rudder on ships. And you and I know that ropes around the muzzle of, let's say, a horse will direct its path. It leads. Likewise, God's wisdom found in his word guides and steers us to make wise choices so that life can be done effectively and successfully and meaningfully. And I would like to look with you at God's guidance under three headings this morning. Three headings which which I'm praying will will encourage you to truly live your lives his way. 
And the reason that I want to do that this morning is because there are some of us who truly do want to live life God's way, and we try, but we find so often and easily we mess things up. And we say, here I go again. And we lose heart. There are some of us who, who are finding that life right at this moment is just not going right. And it upsets us. And we wonder, shouldn't it be better than what it is? I'm trying to do the right thing. You know, I've talked to so many people over the years who have faced tremendously sad things despite living very godly lives. I'm sure, I'm sure that you've had times in your life when, when you've thought life just doesn't make sense. And you were a sincere, committed Jesus follower. So let's delve into God's word and see whether we can find some encouragement and some clarity on why things sometimes seem to be going so terribly poorly for us. Here are the three headings I want to look at with you. The guidance God does, I'll explain. The guidance God gives, the guidance God purchases for us. The first one is this, the guidance God does. On the screen is a verse you're probably familiar with, Proverbs 16 verse 9 that says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I've pondered this proverb many, many times. Have a look at it. And it's okay to say this verse is confusing. What does this short sentence about guidance, about, about making wise choices mean? How does it apply to my life? The Bible teaches God has a purpose for each of our individual lives. And the purpose will come about despite choices we sometimes make. It will come about despite choices that others may make that will greatly affect us. Now, I know that I said just a minute ago that you make or break your life on the basis of your choices. But we must remember, we must remember that God is involved in our lives. It is God who has the final say. He ultimately directs our lives. And when we can understand this truth, it is so comforting. Listen to what Proverbs says just five verses earlier in chapter 16, verse 4, where it says, The Lord works out everything for his own ends. Okay. And then Romans 8, verse 28. Look at it on the screen. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, for us to understand this point that God guides, I want you to think about Old Testament Joseph. Think Old Testament, the story of Joseph. We find, we find his story written about, particularly in, at the back end of Genesis, 
the, books of, the chapters of Genesis, Genesis 37. You know, Joseph was the, the young man who received a coat from his dad, the coat of many colours. He was one of 12 sons, the youngest. And Joseph was spoiled. When he received the coat of many colours, it was actually a, a sign, a, a status thing, because we don't read that his other brothers received a coat like that. He was spoiled, and his older brothers didn't like Joseph. They wanted to get rid of him. And they end up selling him to Egyptian slavers who were travelling through the country that, that Joseph lived in. When Joseph, taken by the slave traders, ended up in Egypt, where they came from, Potiphar, who was a government official, he bought Joseph. And Joseph ended up in his employment. And Joseph truly applied himself when he was working for Potiphar, and he kept rising up in the, in a, in a, in the status sphere. He, he was just a great worker, a great administrator, which ticked off some of the other people who were working for Potiphar. Not only was Joseph a good worker and very gifted, he was also very good-looking. And with good looks comes challenges. I know that from experience. <laughs> there, was, there was Mrs. Potiphar. And Mrs. Potiphar looked at Joseph and went, <laughs> But Joseph, who was rising in status and in ability and recognition in Potiphar's household, was a man of integrity and he was trying to do everything right. To, to, to live life God's way. Remember, he came from Israel. He, he followed, Jesus, followed Yahweh, God. Well, anyway, Mrs. Potiphar's advances didn't work, and Joseph fled from her, and then she, who was then offended, accused Joseph of trying to come on to her, and Joseph ended up in jail. He was incarcerated. And he was left there for years, not just a few weeks. He was just forgotten about. There were other people in the jail, and these, some of these people were having bad dreams, if you know the story, and Joseph was able to interpret these dreams. Anyway, as time went on, some of the other prisoners ended up out of jail, and they were working back in government, but there were some of them that actually worked for Pharaoh. So here's Potiphar, he's pretty important, but there was also Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh was having some terrible dreams at the time, and there was one of the prisoners who was in, jo in jail with Joseph, remember that Joseph could interpret dreams, told Pharaoh, Pharaoh got Joseph, said, what are these dreams about? And Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. So then Pharaoh, the king of England, the Pharaoh of, of England, what am I talking about? Egypt, Egypt, put Joseph in the, his employment and, and Joseph just continued to go higher and higher in government. Joseph became 2IC in Egypt. Joseph also foresaw that there was a famine coming. And this famine was going to be a devastation for all the countries around. So Joseph wisely started to stockpile grain and resources so that they could make it through the, the coming famine. The famine came. 
And the famine in, in, in also affected all the other countries. One of the countries being Israel, which was where Joseph originally came from. And Joseph's brothers and father ended up coming back to buy grain. And if you know the story, there was sort of a reconciliation and yada, yada, yada. Now, I tell you this because when Joseph was living in Egypt, when he was serving Potiphar, he sincerely tried to live right. Yet time after time, he, tr he faced tremendous challenges. And he wondered, you know, is this, is this God worship really working? Is me being obedient to God really helping me in life? Now, from our vantage point in life today, all these years later, we can see that God was guiding everything in Joseph's life to save Israel. Look at this verse again. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God ultimately guides. Despite, for Joseph, the choices are, and the actions of his doting parents, the actions of his jealous brothers, the behaviour of Mrs. Potiphar, of his jealous co-workers... They all affected Joseph's real-life experiences. Yet it was God who determined the outcome. It was all part of the plan for Joseph's life. And we see that God guided the plan. So what is the application here for you and me when we think about the story of Joseph's life? It's this. Please listen. Never ever, ever think that God is not working in your life. Even in those times when you were, you were just feeling convinced that God has forgotten you, that he is deaf to you, that he's not listening, everything is going bad. No matter how much it seems that he is absent, that he has given up on you, know that God is always at work in our lives. And it is God who calls us to get in step with his spirit by obeying what he says to us in his word. Even when it seems everything is going wrong. We read in Proverbs 20 verse 24, A man's steps are directed by the Lord. In verse 1 of chapter 16 it says, Mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. Those of you who were here last Sunday, do you remember the testimony that we played on the screen of um, Grace Lai? Remember Grace was telling us that she was following the Lord and then she ended up wobbling away from God for a while, ended up in a relationship that was not healthy. And she came to her senses and came back to God and she shared with us Thankful she was that God's faithfulness had drawn her back, that she'd come back to him. I'm telling you, if you didn't see that testimony, hear that testimony, you go to the Connection Centre at the end of the service and, and, and ask them that they'll email you the link and you'll be able to see it. Listen to what John Piper, another theologian, says. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Now, let me give you a personal example of this truth. 
was God with my mum and dad when their 11-year-old son was diagnosed with cancer, bone cancer, in the 1960s? Was God aware of the prayers that they cried out to him to heal their son? Was there any logic, was there any sense in the decision needing to be made at that time to amputate that little boy's leg just so that he could have three months longer to live? Fifty years later, the picture is a little clearer. You see, God's guidance is often more something God does than something God gives. But let's now look at the guidance that God does give. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Tim Keller, a go-to theologian for many of us, he says, Few people really understand what this proverb means. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Many of us want to think that we'll just tell God what our plans are and, and he will bless them. Let me tell you what this verse means. That first word there, commit, big word, big word. It means to roll over onto. To roll over onto. Commit to the Lord, whatever you do. It also means to put all your weight on. I'm banking on this. To put all your weight on. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. It means we are to obey God in all things that you do. Whatever. Everything. And that is a huge ask, isn't it? That's a huge ask. Because sometimes we don't want to commit to the Lord simply because we don't want to. So we choose not to. That would be too hard to give God that. Or, I don't want to let that go. I want to hold on to that. I know I'm meant to give it to God, but I don't want to, so I'm not going to. Friends, this verse does not say, just ask God to bless your plan and he will see you succeed because you come to church. That's how many of us would like to interpret it. We want to interpret this verse as having our plans succeed. Most of us think of the word succeed, that it is our plans, that it is our dreams, rather than it is God's plan for us. For me, God's plan for us, for you and for me, is that you and I will become more like Jesus. Now, I consulted a number of Bible commentators concerning this verse, and all of them said, to ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. That's a good word, abandonment. It's another big word. Abandonment of our personal picking and choosing which parts of our lives we commit to his guidance. Which parts of our lives that we will obey God on. Think about how, how true this statement actually is. 
Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. You know, imagine, imagine if, I, if I plead with God to have him bless my life, to bless my marriage, to bless my kids, all of my plans, but there are some parts of my life that I refuse to obey him on. Well, it's not going to work, is it? But we easily do that, don't we? This verse, chapter 16, verse 3, means that we are to unconditionally trust God with every part of our life. It means we are to say, and I'm putting it on the screen, it means we are to say, Lord, from this moment on, I will obey anything you tell me, whether I like it or understand it or not. I will accept anything you send me, whether I like it or understand it or not. It goes further. I will roll onto you. I will put all my weight onto you, Lord. I will obey you unconditionally. I will trust unconditionally. I am from here on committing everything onto you, my good times and my bad times. The person who does that, this proverb says, will have their plans established and succeed by God. Think Old Testament Joseph again. What formed him into the brilliant strategist that stopped the nation of Israel and other nations from starvation? That developed his trust in God. Years and years of being tested. It, it, it was his hard times, his periods of confusion, his times of waiting. You know, friends, faith muscles develop by stretching and testing and then more stretching. That's how it's been since the time of Adam and Eve. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Friends, this morning, God is reminding us, if, if we will commit all of our lives to him, he will see that our lives succeed. That's how you and I become wise. That's how God gives and guides us his wisdom. The integrity of the upright, we read in Proverbs 11 verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. They're two bob each way. This proverb tells us that those who have integrity, those who, who roll everything onto the Lord, who put all of their weight onto the Lord, they are guided by God's wisdom and their plans succeed. The plans of the righteous are just and the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Tim Keller summarizes it by saying this. He says, here's how you get God's guidance. Here we go. This is how we get God's guidance. You commit yourself to him utterly 
that slowly turns you into a person of wisdom. You develop humility. You seek advice, counsel from mature people. So being wise is a choice. And God says, abandon your personal agenda and put all of your weight, all of your faith, all of your motive into doing life according to his will. Then your plans will succeed. Now some of us wrestle with knowing the will of God for our lives simply because we have compartments in life with that we, we don't want God to have his way in. And God is saying, to receive my guidance and blessing in life requires abandonment. And that's a choice we make each and every day. So, which area of your life are you holding back from God? What is God asking you to do? What, what, what is God asking you to stop? Which area of your, your life have, have you not rolled over to God? Let's look at the last point. And then we'll go and eat those funny food things that are being offered. The guidance God purchased for us. Now the sequence here, remember? The guidance God does, think of Joseph, the guidance God gives, and now what enables us to be able to do this is the guidance that God purchases for us. One time, Jesus, when he was on earth, he was in a boat, asleep. He was with his disciples. And while he was asleep, a storm came up, a huge storm, a storm that, that scared the disciples that much that they feared for their lives. And they see Jesus, their leader, their navigator, sleeping soundly. Now, they wanted him awake to navigate, to, to guide them through the storm. Matthew talks about this story, and Mark does, and so does Luke. Now, in fear for their lives, they finally go to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Lord, don't you care if we drown? That question was asked with attitude. Don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus' reply, if you know the story, is very short. First, he, he rebukes a storm. It settles. And then he says to the disciples very pointedly, where is your faith? Now, I've wondered why was Jesus so short with his disciples in this incident? Because these guys were fearful. They were scared, legitimately scared. Well, think about the context. The disciples had been with Jesus for a number of years. They had seen Jesus perform miracles. He healed people. He had explained God's love, God's purpose for everybody's life. So I can imagine that Jesus is probably exasperated by the disciples' fickle faith. He's exasperated by their doubting his love 
his goodness, his protection. Now, I'm a dad. I'm a granddad. And I think I'm starting to understand a little bit how Jesus felt when his disciples questioned his love for them. Lord, don't you care if we drown? You know, with me and my kids and my grandkids, there, 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 there are times when they've questioned my love for them. And, and I've gone, how can you question my love for you? How can you question my love? What have I done for you to, to get you to where you're at? Don't you realize? Have you seen the sacrifices mum and I have made for you guys? Do you know that I can't go out in my caravan and have fun time because I've got to look after grandchildren? Of course I love you. So when the disciples say to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we die? Don't you care if we perish? Don't you care that I'm sinking? I think Jesus was saying to them, how dare you question my love? There is a real storm that's about to come. It is a cosmic storm. A storm of God's wrath. A storm of eternal Justice, a storm that everyone ever born rightfully deserves to face. But I am about to enter that storm in your place alone. How can you question my love for you? I'm about to go through that storm without any navigation because I'm going to be abandoned by my Father in heaven. Jesus is the only person to have ever fully rolled everything onto the Father. Yet he is the one who sinks. Do you get that? Jesus going through the storm of the cross in our place secured our forgiveness. I wonder if that's what Jesus was thinking when his terrified disciples asked him, Lord, don't you care if we drown? Jesus calmed that storm. And then he went on to the ultimate storm for us. Now think about that. Now at this moment today, you may be struggling to understand what God is doing in your life or allowing to happen in your life. You might be finding it very hard to completely commit your plans and your life to God. But look at the plans and the lengths that he has gone to for us, for you, for me. Jesus has gone through our ultimate storm so that we can be certain he will never abandon us in the storms of life. Jesus will never abandon us. Whatever your storm is, he will navigate you through it. Be assured you won't understand why you have to go through many of the storms that you face, but Jesus is there to navigate us through it. That's why we can trust in him. That's why we are to roll onto him. That's why we are to put all of our weight on him. That's what we do when we commit to the Lord whatever we do, and he will establish our plans. So the question I want us to just wrestle with is, do you want to increase your wisdom 
to do life effectively? Do you want to find greater rest in your heart knowing that God's wisdom is here for us to learn? I'm sure we all do. Well, we need to continue to read his word, to ponder it, to study it. We need to continue to come to worship together, to hear his word explained. We need to continue to rest in his grace. Now, I told you the story of my diagnosis when I was 11 with bone cancer. And then the subsequent amputation from the hip at age 13. A number of years after that happened, mum and dad told me at that time they begged God to heal me. They pleaded with him in prayer. And dad told me there was one time they were driving home from visiting me in hospital. It was an hour drive. And dad broke into tears. And he had to stop, pull over to the side of the road. And he said, Mum and I prayed one of those most difficult prayers you will ever pray. He said, Johnny, we prayed, Lord, we surrender Johnny over to you. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Dad told me, though they continued to pray for my healing, he said at that time, Mum and I felt a peace that passed all understanding. A peace that Jesus promises that we can each have when we roll over everything onto him, when we abandon our own agendas and pick up his agenda for our lives. And in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we read that promise of his where he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, here we go again, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants to be involved in your life, all of your life. And he says to us, roll it onto me and follow me and I will walk with you, including the storms. Let's come together in prayer. Let, let's now ask together, Lord, make that a reality for every one of us. Father, with this many people here, there are, there are some of us, Father, who, who are going through storms that are not that big, but there are some of us going through tornadoes and we doubt whether you're real we wonder whether you are a good God so father I pray for every one of us who is here this morning that you would just touch us by your grace that you would gird our resolve to trust in you to roll over onto you to abandon our own plans Lord and seek your will for our lives I pray this for us all in Jesus name Amen. Amen.